Good afternoon and welcome to the latest edition of Lunchtime Learning. I'm delighted to be joined by a performance coach, an ex-England rugby international. Um, so Andy Long, welcome to Lunchtime Learnings and thanks very much for joining me. Well, pleasure to be here, Stephen. Brilliant. So um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into rugby? How did you get to um, play with Johnny Wilkinson and be managed or by Clive Woodward? And um, and then we and then we dissect all of that, if that's OK. Yeah, so look, I, I uh, like most kids, I, I joined mini rugby age of four or five um, and uh, loved it. So rugby has been part of my life since I was very little. Um, and then I just did a state school, a comprehensive state school in in, uh, in Bournemouth. Uh, I managed to go through some trials and get to uh, get to uh, England schools, uh, 18 group, um, and then rugby ten professional in 1996, 95, 96, just as I was leaving leaving school, having done my A levels, and um, uh, I got offered a contract in the academy at Bath, uh, Bath Rugby. Um, and so that's it, really. So I actually went from being a schoolboy kicking around to uh, to suddenly being a, a kind of loosely termed professional rugby player because it was it was very much in the in the throes of amateurism still, and um, especially Bath. I think Bath struggled to to, to adapt as quick as other maybe. And um, so yeah, started that, and it was you know, a wake up call. We lived at Bath University, um, so trained through that, and, and that's how I got into into professional rugby um you know it, it was never something that i thought that was what i was going to do it was just something that came up through 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 through, through that I, I played quite cricket to a high, high level as well and, and it was kind of choosing between which one i was going to go for and then it was in rugby uh, and i stayed at bath for, for seven years i got capped for england uh, at the age of 20 um under clive woodward uh, also got dropped for england at the age of 20 by clive woodward uh, which i guess is uh, is is a story that, to be told. Um, uh, and then, uh, yeah, I played at Bath for seven years. I left Bath uh, and went off to on to a few other clubs, um, including I played at Munster for a little bit. I played at Newcastle Falcons, where you know, I was fortunate enough to play with some, some great players there. Uh, and and then finished my career in at Northampton in 2012, where I sort of moved into moved into coaching but I had a neck injury so it was a kind of forced retirement uh, so yeah I suppose that's a, a whistle stop tour Stephen of, of my my career to date well to, to, to 10 years ago okay lovely so thanks for sharing all of that if I take you right back so um going from coming out of school um to becoming a professional um what sort of things did you have to learn pretty quickly well, you learn to be reasonably independent. I think you learn to make decisions for yourself. Uh, I think that's 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 crucial. And I think that's that's something in my life that I had to learn anyway. I lost my father when I was ten, um, so uh, to a heart attack. So I think I had to grow up pretty quickly, anyhow. Um, so maybe I hadn't had the same uh, upbringing to that point. Some others that joined Bath. Um, and uh yeah but i think i learned to be independent um uh i think i learned that um you know not everyone gets these opportunities you've got to take them you know you've got to, you've got to go with it um 
And also there's ups and downs. I think I, I clearly that you, you know, I, I think I always had a good work rate. I think I've always had a good effort, uh, but I, I knew that you had to be as consistent as you could be every day. And it is going to be a bit of a roller coaster. It's going to be up and down. But if you can consistently apply yourself every day and be able to look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and go, yeah, I've done my best. And that's, you're the only person that really knows that. <laughs> if you're honest with yourself, you're the only person that knows that. And, you know, some people can kid. You know, it's easy to kid people as well and, and pro project that you are. But actually only you know if you've given your best. Um, so I think that's what I quickly learned. Uh, and, and obviously I had setbacks early on in my career, so um, which I had to deal with. Okay, I'm sorry about your dad. Um, you know, I lost my dad as well at a young age. I know exactly what it's like. Um, mm. And, you know, my dad totally inspired me. He had a kidney transplant when he was very young and he was in and out of hospital for the first 23 years of my life. And um, in fact, Hammersmith Hospital was our second home. Um, and he ended up um, playing in the transplant Olympics, which was absolutely incredible. Wow, um, amazing. So, so amazing. So, just coming back and, you know, you talk about up, up and downs and, you know, obviously this podcast is going out to loads of estate agents. Um, mm. Estate agents have to deal with loads of ups and downs on the road every day. It's a roller coaster. They have some fantastic mm. days, loads of exchanges, mm. loads of lets. And then the next day, sales fall through, um, lets fall through. They don't get the market appraisals and instructions they were hoping to get. What tips can you give to people watching this to, to deal with those ups and downs? Yeah, I think uh, it's really interesting. I, I think for me, it's very easy. Um, I suppose it's very easy to get loose perspective uh, when you're under pressure. Uh, you know, you're either, the, you know, under pressure, you either feel like if you make a mistake, you're the worst, you're the worst estate agent, you're the worst uh you know the worst rugby player or whatever it might be in the world uh, sometimes also when we're doing really well like a grail or you win a game sometimes you feel like you're the best you don't have to train anymore so when things are going well or not going well generally we lose quite a lot of perspective of efforts. i think being able to zoom out uh is really important and being mindful i think mindfulness is very important because between something happening and our response is an opportunity there to be mindful generally there's a belief system that's working in there that we need to kind of look at so i think being able to 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 um, to control our emotions knowing that we get positive and negative emotions that's natural but being able to to manage our emotions in the moment is really important then to be able to mentally stay on track and on task now i think a lot of that then comes down to our physical how we physically are so as a you know have we rested have i exercised you know, how's my lifestyle in terms of nutrition, hydration? They will, they will uh, manage our, help us manage our emotions. Now, I think that, you know, on top of that, I think in that moment, being able to control the things you can control, you know, it's a very obvious thing. Uh, and it's often coined in, 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 when you're having debriefs, it says, oh, yeah, control, control what you can control. Don't worry about other things. But actually, when you're in the moment and you're under pressure, you know, that's when you get the most. But actually, we lose perspective and we lose common sense. So, being able to access that in the moment and be able to control attention in the moment, I think, is crucial to high performance yeah. and how we can stay, uh, stay, you know, stay, stay that level of perspective, uh, which we often lose. Uh, and I think that's through experience, like anything. I think the more you practice something, 
the more you stress yourself, the better you get it and then recover, the better you can grow. Unless you put yourself into those positions where it's uncomfortable, you don't get the opportunity to grow. It's like a muscle, right? You don't train it in the gym, it doesn't get bigger. Unless if you don't allow it to recover, it tears and it, it breaks down and you, you get injured. So too much stress can cause to you know, a, a response which we don't want. Too little, you know, also the same. So the sweet spot, I suppose, of pressure or side of the zone to be able to grow. And I think that's where we can grow physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually um, as well. So yeah, I think that's my take on it. I think, I think the perspective, uh, things are going to come down the track as well. I think realizing that things aren't always going to go your way and how you deal with it. So the more you can plan for that and prepare for that, I think is good. You know, the market's going to be really buoyant sometimes and it's going to go flat. It's going to go buoyant again. We know that. So it's, you know, how do you prepare for the things that you can predict, you know, you know is going to come down the track. Okay, lovely. So cool. There's loads to unpick, unpick there. Um, we met a couple of weeks ago at an estate agent's. Um, mm. And one of the ladies there was felt very uncomfortable doing video. And um, she then managed to do a video with a little bit of gentle persuasion where she was exceptional. There's going to be other people here that find it very um, challenging to get out of their comfort zone. Again, you know, what tips can you get and can you help for people to, you know, to get, you talked about being uncomfortable, to get comfortable. How do people, you know, what do they need to do to to get uncomfortable? How can they do it? Because again, mindset is, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to do it for whatever reason. It's a great question. It's a great question. I think that with increased performance and wanting to get better at anything comes pressure generally. <laughs> If you want to get better at something, you're going to put yourself under pressure. It then comes down to your individual motivation. And it comes down to a lot around intrinsic or extrinsic. What are you, what's motivating you to want to do it? Uh, uh, knowing that, you know, intrinsic motivation is, is probably more powerful uh, long-term than extrinsic. We know that, you know, fortune, fame, title. Uh, but if you've got a, a, an internal driver that's, that's going to get you, that's going to help you then put comfort zone um so i think for me that that that's really it you know getting that meaning behind it why is it important to me and help people go right actually it, it doesn't have to be a fit you know on a percentage you don't have to challenge yourself 50 percent harder than where you are now. you only have to challenge yourself maybe three or four percent harder just just a little bit each day gets you better so it does have to be some managing. I think then the whole feedback loop and, you know, talking about that, that, you know, that example you gave, you know, how good did that individual feel after it done it, it, it massively? So I think that, um, yeah, I think it's seeing the benefit of it, encouragement from people around. So as leaders, people around you, I think it's creating that environment. But from a driver, it's got to be, you know, I would like to get better. I want to get a little bit better at what I do. And if I do, I know that's going to come with a certain amount of pressure. Making that making that pressure manageable is the key. How do you find your way? Why? You talked about your why. How do you find it? It's a good, a good question. Again, I think um, for me, uh, your your why, your purpose is deep-seated. Uh, I think when I've, when I've worked this um, with uh individuals 
you kind of get them to go back and talk about stories of their childhood and things that happened, and monu- you know, um, um, big moments, what was happening, why was it exciting, what was happening at the time, and then maybe move that into business. But again, it's finding that deep, deep meaning and deep purpose. And also with, with organisations that I've worked with where we've created purpose and why statements, um, it's understanding that um, it's almost your the contribution that you make and the impact that that contribution has on the world, on other people. It's not about making money. You know, that's what you do. That's that's a pro- product of what you do. But it's actually more about can I what's what's deep inside me. Now, I think creating purpose comes from passion. I think what I think once you understand what you're passionate about, what am I really curious about? What am I passionate about? And then you add curiosity into that mix. And, and that's all kind of an, uh, an internal thing. Your passion is quite internal. But turning it into purpose is external. How am I going to use my passion as a purpose for not just for me, but for other people? The impact is going to have on others. Um, so I think that storytelling is a great thing. I think doing a lot of storytelling with organizations, especially with founders and leaders within the organization about times in their organizational journey when they've overcome challenges, when it's been great, when it's not been great, how have they gone about it? So actually storytelling, I think, is one of the best ways when I work with organisations now to help them really identify what their purpose is. If you link it back to occasions that have actually happened, you know, and not just, you know, words that mean nothing. So that's that for me. You've got to go deep into your storytelling. Okay, so you've obviously worked with a lot of exceptional top performers, um, being led by some top performers, maybe captain, maybe captain them yourself. What do you think the qualities are that make a top performer? Uh, I think that um, a top performer in any any walk of life, I suppose, has to... uh, You've got to have a a purpose. You've got to be passionate about what you do. I think um, if you're looking for sustained performance, you look at the people that are you know, consistently have sustained performance and not just one-offs. You know, you, you know, you go out there, you see a lot of people that win, win thing or whatever like that. But if you're consistently performing or staying at the top of your game, you've got to have an underlying motivation and a drive and a, and a, a perseverance. So I think those that I think the uh, the desire to get better and better every day is. I think that, is important um and you know being a, a sponge to learning not a rock you know wanting to really soak up information is important so i think that that real desire to want to get better every day i think that the ability to adapt well i think top performers have an ability to adapt in the moment um and and are quite flexible both both physically but also emotionally and mentally be able to adapt um and and yeah i think being able to a consistent day in day out uh drive so yeah i think that's there, there's some key things there's, there's obviously lots of ingredients you could talk about in terms of you know performing under pressure mindset staying you know staying on task uh when you need it most that's clear when the pressure really ramps how to stay on task others wouldn't and i know through my career you know, there was times where I, that, that, that sort of thing affected me. Um, that's why I really enjoy now helping others uh, to help them on their journey. 
Well, look, it is a really stressful job being an estate agent. Maybe not as stressful as playing for England at times, but um, you, when you're dealing with somebody's biggest tax-free asset um, and all the emotions, um, and sometimes logic goes out the window, and understandably so. Um, how can agents deal with stress and deal with pressure? I think it comes down to, you know, there's a, there's a great model called the corporate athlete or the, the executive athlete. I think that I think that they can learn a lot actually from the way that how we manage our energy um, and in terms of uh, you know an athlete would train and recover all day and then they perform at the end of the week for one or two hours or uh, you know even different in terms of uh, athletes and and sprinters and things uh, and their career professional career would be probably fifteen years at max maybe but. It, with a with someone who's a uh, in a state agent or anyone in the workforce like that in office and stuff, they've got to perform every day, eight hours, right? And then they might get to train and recover at the end of the day for one or two hours if they're lucky. And that might not that might be passive recovery, not active recovery. And you've got to do that for forty odd years, fifty years. So our ability to understand that time is fixed, but our energy levels are variable in terms of the quantity and the quality of the energy we have in our day, it realizes that actually the lead point for performance is our energy, not time. Because um, you can have the greatest diary organization, right? Have it all structured perfectly for meeting. But if you haven't got the right energy systems going and you've not slept properly, and you're not eaten properly, you're not hydrated properly, uh, you're not, you know, you're not using uh, active recovery protocols, then you're not going to show up and be your best. So I think that I think how estate agents can help themselves is by, as athletes would do, oscillating the day. So instead of saying you've got to be just on it the whole day and constant, then the day you kind of like start to fade, you oscillate between bursts of activity and, and, and sprinting and, and then you back off and you run properly and then you go again. So you're really focused. And I think by doing that and having that on a bedrock of really good physical you know, that, that when you're out on the road, you've got your foods and things like that with you, you're prepared. I think that can keep you much more emotionally stable. So it creates a physical aspect so our emotional and our mental capacity grow. Um, as we know, if you're rested, your emotions are much more regulated. But internally, you're less reactive. You know, your belief systems are less irrational. You uh, have probably more empathy, more passion, more tolerant, you're more patient when you're fully rested as when you're not. And and that then knocks on to our ability to make good decisions, our mental capacity. So our ability to make good decisions, our ability to, um, to stay on task, to keep our attention for our mindset to focus and positive. Um, and then we align obviously uh, into our, our spiritual, our meaning, why do we do things? So I think that for me, I think they, it's the whole package. It's understanding actually how I manage my energy in my day allows me to perform at my best. And I think that more agents can probably, and the ones that I work with, we're working quite a lot on this. How do you oscillate your day so that you're in flow, as we would call it in terms of our flow state, when we're at our best, we perform at our best and we feel at our best. Now, we can train that, but it, a lot of it comes down to our, our, our physical uh, capacities. Okay, so I know a lot of agents that wake up in the middle of the night, 
with things on their mind about, oh, I've got to do this tomorrow, do that tomorrow. Um, you know, you've talked about energy, you talked about sleep, hydrating and eating. How do I, um, is there a way, are there any tips that I can sleep better at night or agents can sleep better at night? Um, and not having to think, oh my good God, wake up at three o'clock in the morning. I never called that person. I need to do this tomorrow. Yeah, well, absolutely. I, I, I think that obviously there's there's certain things uh, physiologically to help us go to sleep. So into powering down off devices before sleep, you know, you know, not eating right up before bed. You know, we reckon going to sleep at about the same time every day, up about the same time. So you you get into a good rhythm. Um, but I think for something like that, which is obviously more cognitive, uh, you know, how do you finish your day? How do you finish your day in terms of, right, reflecting on your day, writing your list, you know, actually, or journaling at your day? What are the things I need to do tomorrow? What's on my list? And just downloading your list. And what you do in that sense, and even if it's a problem you've got and you don't have to solve it, there's a great sort of tool called delegating to your subconscious. So, if you write that problem down and then you uh, you go, right, I'm going to come back to it tomorrow at 9.30 uh, and you write the question down, you leave it and say, right, that's it, leaving. And then you come back to that next morning and you actually write it down again and you start to work through that, you give yourself a block of time to do it. You know, what's happened in that meantime is your subconscious has started working on it and you're much more likely to actually have had a come up with a result. So it's actually getting stuff out of your head, I think. The more we can get our stuff out of our head and out somewhere, so it's 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 there decluttering ourselves and then going through some uh, breath work or whatever it might be to help you get to sleep, I think that helps. And creating a really good ritual around that um, that you go to, it, it, I think what's is a way of around, around that when it's, it's very common, isn't it? For a lot of people waking at night, I've got this stuff on, whatever. But how are you kind of prepare? How do you down download everything? so that you can use your sleep effectively to, to recover. Okay. How do you, so again, I suppose there are a lot of people that struggle with work-life balance um, and it's all work, 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 and there's no rest at all. Mm. Again, similar tips on that? I think, again, it's about balance, isn't it? It's about... You know, there's you often look at say three spheres that we need to work within self, self work and 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 family, and it's about having a good balance in all of them. You have got to kind of just keep tracking back and going, which of these maybe's out of sync, and how am I sabotaging myself? How can I how can I do that? But you know, you could, the easy thing would be to say, all right, okay, well I'm going to I'm going to make sure I've got a block of time for my family or myself for exercise. But if you turn up in that spot, you haven't got the energy and, you know, you're tired, you're not going to be present in that moment. So it's about really being present. Um, so I think it starts going back to actually um, our, our energy. I think it does go back to that. I think how physically are we rested that allows you then to have a better work-life balance. You get the better emotions in that. Um, and But you've almost got to do a little bit of an audit or your values, what's important to you in your life. So if you go, right, how am I living a values-based life as well? So the thing that, you know, important for me, one of my values is courage, right? I think you have to have courage. And if I haven't, if I think, well, how am I displaying courage today? 
and that might be out of my comfort zone. So when I'm thinking to myself, or oh, maybe I've not done something, or I've stopped doing something because I've got this inner belief or lack of confidence, I'm thinking, hold on, well, I really believe that one of my true values is courage. Uh, and actually, well, in what way am I living that in my day? And I've done something that's, that's used courage. So I think back to that and kind of go, well, what are the things that are really important to me uh, in my life? Uh, and then just making it really simple and just building one thing you want to do differently and not trying to boil the ocean. Just have one thing you'd like to do differently uh, to create that. But I think this whole recovery is really important, the work-life balance. Most people will come home and they're on their phone or they're, they're passively recovering. Where active recovery is where we're actually um, – we are trying to change the state and drop sort of parasympathetic uh, nervous system. So it's more about kind of relaxing as opposed to the sympathetic when we're working. So if we're just on our phones and scrolling and doing all this stuff, we're, we're keeping stressing ourselves. You know, we've got to find a way of breaking away and actually just completely, uh, completely properly recovering so we can go again. Okay, lovely. I just want to come back. I've got a couple of questions because I'm conscious of your time and thank you very much. So you talked about um, practice um, and a lot of people will make excuses. They don't have time to practice. Um, they don't like the word role play. Um, but for me, being a, a professional, whether um, a rugby player or you're an estate agent, you're still a professional. Um, you need to have conversations with sellers, landlords, um, buyers and tenants and anybody else. Um, you would practice before a game. So you're playing for England as a hooker. You wouldn't turn up on that Saturday against France thinking, oh, this is going to be easy. We're going to win this um, Six Nations game. You would train really, really hard. Um, what do agents need to understand or how can they change their mindset that actually forget the word role play? professionals practice before they play um how can agents be practicing more before they play in front of their customers yeah i think many things i think with with um with performance like that um you you've got to break it down you know a lot of the time it's it's very win or lose it's very finite in terms of uh, i've won this so i lose it but we've got to think about it more as the performance and how do i how do I deal with the process that I've got to go through? So what is my process? What are the skills I need to be able to deploy at their best for the outcome to go the way I hope it will? And we don't necessarily know it will. And especially for an estate agent, all you can do is your best and the scoreboard will look after itself or not. You know, if someone decides to buy or not buy that house, it's, you know, it's nothing you can do about it. All you can do is do your process. So I think that practicing is, is, is kind of breaking it down into those components of my performance. So what are the key non-negotiable key components of my performance that I need to practice? And I think then is a lot about visualization and mental rehearsal. I think visualization is so important. You know, looking, you know, looking ahead and seeing that going really well, what does it look like? And then working your way back. The same for anything like goal setting and, and goal achievement. We know that visualization really helps. Mental rehearsal, practicing your first 30 seconds of what you're going to say to the client before you go in there, having it there nails, you can hear yourself saying it. So I think those elements of practice are important uh, for helping you then in the moment, stay, stay, stay on task and not maybe let you get. To. But again, it's got to come down to personal motivation. 
why do I want to do it? I see a lot of agents, but it doesn't mean enough. And actually, in any profession, it's got to mean something. You've got to really want to do it. You've got to want to get a bit better. Um, uh, and no one's ever got anywhere without any sort of level of sacrifice. And that means that you might have to do some self-development outside of the hours that you normally are working. You might have to. But if you're curious about something, if you're passionate about it, that you find that a lot easier to do. I think practice is important. I think, you know, uh, uh, you know, bringing people in that have experts that can help, I think it's important in terms of dealing the technical side of it um, and the skill set side of it. But anything that people are given, the, you've got to coach to the practice, not theory. The theory is brilliant, but you've got to be able to apply that and practice it, and you know what? Probably fail as well, and actually fall over it, back up, and learn. It's that cycle of feedback. Um, so I think they're the top individuals that I work with. They, they win the practice, but actually, it's a practice pitch for a reason. You make mistakes on the practice pitch, and you tone your game so that when you are out there, you're at your best. And the more you self pressure and create scenarios, the better as well. Um, but yeah, I think that practice is is important. How you build it into into uh, agencies uh, is a really interesting concept. What did you learn from Sir Clive? Um, I think what Sir Clive Woodward did when he came in and managed the England rugby team is he actually brought a lot of business uh, business protocols in. Um, in terms of professionalising everything that we did, meetings, uh, you know, and I, you know, I only just came into rugby after, you know, I'm looking back at it because I didn't, I could really compare it to anything because it was 1997 and I'd only just become a professional rugby player and it's been amateur. But he brought a kind of a professional business side into it. He had, he had uh, specific coaches, specific jobs, you know, a lot of review. He just, he just let the professionalism just went through the roof uh, in terms of everything you wanted, chefs, uh, you know, uh, eye, eye coordination coaches, uh, mental skills coaches. Um, so he really uh, gave rugby player every possible opportunity to be the best they could be um, as well. So I think that's, for me, that's what he did very well. He, he, he had a specific role, but he also had a good team around him of other coaches. And at that period, he had a very good B team in terms of the England players he had at that time that went on to win the 2003 World Cup. But you know, leading into the 2003 World Cup, there was a lot of, there was a lot of setbacks. There was a lot of games that were lost to get to the 2003 World Cup. Um, so I think he had a very, very key focus on what he wanted to achieve. And, and yeah, and he built a very good team around him. Brilliant. Who inspires Andy Long? Who inspires Andy Long? I think that um, I'm lucky to meet a lot of people who I, I coach, um, and I'm inspired by anyone that that is that allows themselves to be vulnerable, that allows themselves to uh, be truthful about where they are at the moment. Um, and then one, and then takes action. That inspires me. People that allow themselves to be vulnerable, be very truth about where they are, and they 
and they try and integrate something into their life and try and get better. Um, you know, they inspire me. People that go outside of their comfort zone inspire me a lot. Um, uh, yeah, and, and, and yeah, and it could be the smallest thing though, Stephen. It could be just one person I work with that changes something about the way they live their life in that day that they get a good result. And I'm like, I'm inspired by that. And hopefully, they inspire other people. It's like this ripple effect, isn't it? We want to live in a world where people are are fulfilled and you know purposeful uh, and and living great lives. That's that's the goal. Uh, for me, anyway, that's why I do what I do. Um, so, yeah, they, that's who inspired me. Brilliant. One final question, I promise, because I could keep on going all day. I'm really sorry. Um, nice. I find this, and, and, and you mentioned the word action. So, you know, the best people are the ones that take action and implement it and maybe fail and learn from it, but take action. How can people just take action? Yeah, again, I think it comes down to uh, you've got to, there's got to be a meaning to it. I think that, you know, you've got to find a better, you know, take an action moving forward. And uh, what happens from that is, could be seen as a risk, could be a little bit daunting, but you don't know until you try. And I think that, you know, staying still is not always the best thing to do. We've got to try and be moving. And, uh and trying things so i think just you know let go of that a little bit and just just just, just make it too complicated either by taking to take action make it really simple even if it's just one little thing that you do differently in your day that's action and then if you keep doing those you're going to build you know like say you know the old atomic habit stuff and you start to build a small like atomic sized habit and they stack on top of each other so it's another learning for us because the more we do it, the more we can change the way our brains work, our neuroplasticity, going to be our, our emotional regulation, our mental capacity, that we'll be better. By just taking one step, it, it can make a lot of other things uh, sort of escape from that. Fantastic. I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you. How do people get hold of you, Andy? Yeah, well, you can get hold of me on my uh, website, uh, www.impact2.co.uk. Uh, or on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Well, thank you for being a wonderful guest and sharing so much value. Thank you, everybody, for watching and listening. Really grateful. So please like it, share it, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And I look forward to presenting the next one to you. Have a good one. Thanks very much. Bye.